Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello, hello, and welcome. Today on the DJE Podcast, we have Ryan Webster. He's the founder of uh, Equity Yield Group, and him and his partner are multifamily operators in multiple markets, um, kind of in the, in, the, in the southern United States. And so we talk about a couple of things that I think you guys are going to enjoy. One was his, his business background as, a, as a, uh, running a construction company, why he moved out of that into multifamily and some of the some of the drivers and benefits there and then what the business looks like how they got into the business what type of assets they're pursuing they're they're going after cleaner newer b and a assets uh how they put together their equity what their investors uh, base looks like their investment thesis just kind of the whole thing um and it's very straightforward. Uh, Ryan's Ryan's a great guy, and we just kind of do- dove into the whole business and how they put it all together. So, if you're an aspiring operator, or you're an operator. It's definitely operator shop talk. And then if you're an aspiring passive investor, um, it's it's more shop talk to kind of get you to understand this industry a little bit better. But uh, they've done well. They're they're growing, at, you know, at a at a reasonable, responsible pace. And um, I enjoyed our our conversation a lot. So we'll dive into that. Before we do, just a little housekeeping. If you are listening to this and you're not currently on the DJE investor list and seeing our forthcoming projects, you can just go to the website, djetexas.com, Delta Juliet Echo Texas, spelled out.com, also linked in the show notes. And you can sign up to uh, get on our investor list. We're happy to have a call with you, get to know you, send you case studies, answer questions all that fun stuff. Our team's ready to go uh, on that. So you can go to djetexas.com to see our projects. Secondly, if you are wanting to step up your game in this business as an operator and go buy and run your own deals or form a partnership that does that, we created apartmenteducators.com for just that purpose. We take people that have been successful in their careers or in their businesses that want to buy and own multifamily and plug them into the ecosystem, the coaching, the education platform, the resources and network they need to build their team, introductions, credibility, the whole thing that you need to go out and buy and run deals is at apartmenteducators.com. We've got a free video course that I teach there. And our students are buying 100, 200, 300 unit apartment complexes after going through this and us assisting them with that. So uh, check that out at apartmenteducators.com. All right, let's jump into the episode uh, with Ryan. Here we go. Ryan, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for for being a guest. Uh, I'd like to dive in and kind of start by learning a little bit about your background, where you're from, where you grew up. And then I always like to understand what uh, what got you into real estate initially and what that what that on-ramp was for, for you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I'm a real estate professional and entrepreneur. I'm the uh, founder of Equity Yield Group and one of the managing partners here. Um, and we are a real estate acquisitions and investment firm. And we focus on, you know, acquiring institutional quality A and B class uh, multifamily assets that, you know, are well located in, in strong growth markets uh, across the Sunbelt. Um, and 
prior to uh, starting this company, I owned and operated a, a construction development company for a little over 10 years here in the Midwest. Um, and since transitioned out of that from kind of the build and sell model into the buy and hold model. Uh, yeah, that's great. And what city are you located in, Ryan? Uh, I'm in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Okay, gotcha. And what initially, uh, obviously, I want to dive in and talk about the multifamily stuff, but what initially got you into the construction side? Were you, were you building houses, building commercial, or what did that look like? Um, kind of a wide range of experience. So um, built a lot of, a lot of custom homes, um, okay. you know, did some commercial work in, in strip malls and standalone restaurants, um, and then uh, kind of some smaller student housing and multi-projects as well. Have you, did you exit completely out of that business or is that still alive in some form or fashion? Nope. I've exited completely out of that. And then really it was uh, in an effort to kind of simplify my life. Um, sure. you know, I'd been in that business a long time and built a, a vertically integrated business. Um, so, you know, we owned the, the cabinet shop and then the paint crew and the framing crew. And, uh, you know, most of what we did was, was in-house for our own people. Um, so it kind of built, uh, built the company up and, uh, you know, it required a lot to manage it. Sure. So what was the, was it just a dissolution or did, were you able to sell that company or what did that look like for you? Yeah. Um, just kind of broke up the, the pieces and then sold off the assets. Yeah. Got it. So what was the trigger for you wanting to get into multifamily and what did, what did that your ex first exposure to that look like? Um, yeah, just kind of taking a look at the, the business I was in and, um, you know, there's a lot of benefits to the buy and hold. Um, there's a lot more tax benefits via, you know, depreciation and cost segregation that, that you don't have in, with the build and sell. Um, you know, additionally, you have the opportunity for, for cash flow. Um, and fundamentally, I really liked uh, the lower risk profile mm -hmm. of investing in stabilized multifamily assets. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's, there's so many ways to approach the real, real estate investment uh, game. And there's really something to be said about closing a property and a hundred or 200,000 revenue comes in a week later. Um, yeah, absolutely. All, all sort of other variables to contend with. Certainly. I mean, it's kind of this living, breathing organism, you know, each community, but um, the fact that you have large chunks of revenue coming in like clockwork, it takes a lot of pressure off the business model. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, when you're talking about, you know, investing other people's capital alongside your capital, um, you know, there's a level of risk that, that I would take with, with my own money that I'm not comfortable taking with other people's money. 100%. Yeah, 100% agree. So what did, what did your first step into the multifamily business look like? Uh, our first acquisition um, was in Sarasota, Florida. Um, it's a 148 unit community. Uh, we paid 26 million for that uh, property. Um, it was built in uh, 2017. Um, and it's been a great performing property for us. Um, kind of our, our thesis is, is really around, you know, the fundamentals of, of the business within the property and the driving factors within the market and submarket that are going to support that business. Right. So you guys are looking at buying and operating assets in multiple markets, that, like you mentioned. What was it about Sarasota? Were you looking at 10 different markets and this just happened to be a deal that you liked? Was Were you honing in on Sarasota? What did, what did that approach look like? Yeah. So Sarasota was uh, definitely one of our target markets. Um, you know, there's 
lots of people moving there is huge population growth. Um, there's a diverse employment market. Um, you know, wage growth is keeping up. Um, and another factor is there's just a, a shortage of supply of housing there. Um, and you know, tons of people moving there every day. So we've seen tremendous rent growth in the market over the last year um, in excess of, of 27% effective rent growth, which is really driven um, you know, by this population growth and the fact that it's so constrained on the supply side right now. Yeah, that's right. Let's talk about that acquisition. $26 million is not um, an insignificant sum to go after for a first deal. Did you have partners or, um, you know, how, how did you get over that credibility hump, I guess, to, to be awarded a deal that size kind of right out of the gate? Um, you know, having relevant uh, business experience, you know, in the industry uh, helps a lot. Right. Um, and then, you know, it was really right time and, and right place. We did end up keeping the, uh, the same management firm in place. Um, so that, that management firm, also owned the asset. Uh, so oh, that wow. did sweeten the, the pot for them. We said, Hey, we'll, we'll buy it from you and we'll allow you to, uh, you know, be the third party property manager on it as well. Right. Um, so that kind of gave us a leg up. Um, you know, also there's hard money is kind of a must now, especially in, you know, the institutional quality assets. Um, you just have to have money hard day one. Um, otherwise, you know, they're not really going to consider your offer. Right which is, um, you know, is a, is a risk factor for you as the operator. But I think as you skew, you know, towards these cleaner, newer assets, that risk gets reduced a little bit, right? Uh, yeah, by the, the profile of the, the asset, the markets are shopping, and there, there's lower risk. But we also run a very detailed process and, you know, vetting the deal, underwriting the deal, putting together a business plan, even prior to submitting our initial offer. Um, mm -hmm. So once that offer goes out, we're very confident in our business plan. We've done our research on the market, the asset. Um, we've consulted our, our tax consultant, uh, our insurance broker, um, as well as kind of gone out to the debt market to see really how things are going to price and, and where the leverage is going to be that specific asset. Right. So a lot of lot of front end due diligence and homework before the offer goes out. Yep. Yeah, which is good because you've got to be confident about that that offer once it once you hit send. Um, I want to talk a little bit about this project, and I've seen this come up a few times, and uh, I'd like to get your perspective on it, where you're, you're retaining property management. So property management is a big puzzle that we all have to solve in this business, and you're retaining the property management. How do you hold them accountable on a due diligence when they're essentially auditing themselves? Uh, you know, what, what are, How did you guys approach that? Uh, we brought in a an objective third party to conduct the due diligence, do the physical inspections and the lease file audit. Um, but this wasn't, you know, where we met this property manager was in this transaction. It was someone that, uh, you know, we were working with prior to on, on other assets pre-acquisition had a relationship with. It just so happened that they were selling this asset. Right. So there's some history there. Yep. Yeah. Very good. Um, how are you guys approaching your property management strategy for other assets in multiple markets? Is it one company running them all? Is it based yep. on the, the market or how do you approach um, that? Just one, one company. And, you know, uh, we're fortunate enough that that company is in, you know, all the markets that we're shopping in. Beautiful. Um, but yeah, we're, we're very happy with them as a, a third party manager. And I think one of the advantages that, that comes with that is, you know, they were, owners uh, prior to being, you know, a property management firm. Um, so they at one point had about a billion dollar 
portfolio. And as part of that, they brought management in-house and formed their own property management company. Sure. They've since sold off most of that portfolio and are really focused on third-party management at this time. But having an experience as an owner really gives them insight as to our needs as owner operators. Yeah, there's so much to the property management business. A um, lot of moving pieces, difficult business, not an incredibly high margin business in general. Yeah. And so if you, but such a critical component of the whole puzzle, uh, if you've got a good one and the relationship works, especially if you've got some scale, I mean, that is, uh, that's kind of an ideal scenario and that's prevented you guys from having to go build a, a better mousetrap there, right? Yeah, and that's, you know, I, I found out early on and even some of my first, uh, you know, single family investments that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a property manager. I have no desire sure. to be a property manager. And like you said, it's a very low margin business. So as far as developing enough scale to build out a quality team to make a property management company, it's it's very difficult. Right, right. It is very different. It's, it's two different businesses. I mean, the way we're structured, we we are vertically integrated, but, you know, we've got a property management division and basically a private equity division, yep. private equity kind of slash asset management, and they're radically different uh, businesses. So you guys, you know, let's talk about the team a little bit uh, that you have together, basically, you know, asset management, private equity firm fundamentally, right? And, and what does that team look like today for you guys? Yeah. So we have uh, you know, our executive team, myself and uh, my partner, um, and then we have, you know, a virtual assistants kind of doing data entry and kind of some of the marketing piece. Um, then we have, you know, some, some existing employees from the other company, um, you know, helping with some of the admin and bookkeeping duties. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's amazing that you can build uh, a substantial portfolio, you know, running an asset management private equity company on a, a pretty small footprint. Versus the uh, versus property management side, uh, you know, there's a lot of headcount on on that side of the house. But that's 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 outside of your, you know, you're not running that P and L and worrying about that hiring process and the culture for that company and all that stuff. So it makes it very efficient. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, obviously, we have you know employees on the property level on a property by property basis, and you know, we work with them daily alongside the property management company. Um, but uh, as far as direct in-house employees, uh, you know, there's there's not that that burden that you have to build out this, this huge team to be able to accomplish the goal. Yeah, that's right. How was your experience getting, finding this management company? Was it uh, turning over a lot of rocks searching for this? Did, did you kind of get lucky and build this relationship early? How did that work out? Um, did end up building it early, um, but it wasn't for lack of effort. Um, you know, having management experience and, you know, running a company as long as I did, I had a good sense of, of what we wanted out of a management company. Um, and especially, you know, starting out early on and even today, our strike ratio is, is pretty low just because we're very specific about our acquisition criteria. Sure. Um, so one of the things that we absolutely needed was a lot of pre-acquisition support. Um, like I said, we don't throw an offer out without knowing, you know, what the business plan looks like. So, and we get assistance from the property manager in putting together, you know, operating budgets, um, conducting the, you know, an objective comp survey alongside our comp survey, comparing notes and figuring out where we can set pro forma rents, um, you know, as well as properties we're renovating, you know, putting together a construction budget that's going to be accurate. And, and right now kind of accounting for supply chain issues and inflation and trying to get as accurate as we can. 
Sure. Yeah. The, the pro forma modeling has gotten a little squirrely, uh, you know, in recent years here with uh, all the variables, right? Rent growth maybe is, is a little run a little hotter than we have in the past. Uh, same with wage growth and yeah. same with, with supplies and materials. So all these things are kind of in flux more the last couple of years, um, which is just is part of the, part of the game. Um, let's talk about, so we're talking in kind of first half of 2022 right now, let's talk about 2021, you know, what kind of activity and deal volume did you guys, uh, did you guys end up doing last year? Yeah. So through 2021, we acquired, uh, you know, 665 units, uh, a little under 300 million of assets under management. Um, all in all, you know, I think it was a good year for the industry. Um, you know, I think sure. when COVID initially hit, we were all kind of holding our breath going, Oh, great. It's going to crash. We're going to get some stuff on sale. And then right. that never happened. And then prices yeah. went through the roof and cap rates compressed and, you know, rent growth went way farther than any of us expected. Yeah. It was funny. I remember right when COVID hit, you know, you start getting phone calls from, uh, people hunting around for a deal, seeing if you're, you know, if you're going to bleed out and they can uh, buy your stuff at a discount and, uh, didn't, we didn't really see it. We didn't really see any COVID related discounts. I mean, there's a pause in kind of the, the debt markets and that was, yep. uh, you know, seized up there for a little bit, but, uh, you know, then the Fed just uh, brought out the biggest guns they've ever they've ever brought out, probably way too much, as we're seeing now with inflation. But uh, very interesting couple of years there. Did you guys operations? Um, it was kind of business as usual at the end of the day. Did you see serious disruptions after that? Um, no, you know, it, it, business as usual. You know, the acquisitions is extremely competitive uh, right now yes. and was all through last year. Um, I think, you know, it'll probably continue to be competitive through, through the next couple quarters. We'll see how rates will impact things and where things will settle. Um, sure. but, but again, our focus has really been on you know, mitigating risk through quality assets and, you know, markets that support growth where, where the fundamentals are there and, you know, it's going to mitigate the downside risk. Um, and, you know, we've been rewarded by that. Our, our properties are outperforming our, our projections, um, you know, get calls daily uh, on solicit offers to, to purchase our properties that we bought just last year. Um, right. You know, right. We, for well above what we paid. Right. Yeah. It's interesting times. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the class a um, model and pursuing those type of assets. I mean, you see a lot of syndicators nationally looking for, older assets where there's some value add opportunity and you can look at a spectrum and sometimes, you know, really deep kind of deeply distressed assets. You guys are skewing more towards the newer, cleaner. Um, what kind of a, what kind of a return profile and, and project are you looking for? Is this a very long-term hold? Is this, are there some, some value add things you're doing or is it really just kind of like, buy the right assets and, and um, kind of right appreciation up? Or how do you guys view that? Yeah, so we still, uh, you know, we like forced appreciation via value add, although we look for kind of a, a light to moderate mm-hmm. value add. Um, I spent years working on older properties and understand, you know, the risks that come with that, um, sure. you know, and, and the unforeseen costs. And especially now, um, you know, project costs have, have gone up significantly. So if you acquired a deal and, you know, Road your construction budget at a you know a time anytime twelve to eighteen months ago, 
um, that budget has completely changed. Um, and there's a lot right. of people scrambling to, to source materials and vendors and, and you're rebidding things and trying to get back in their budgeted cost. Um, so that was something I knew we wanted to stay away from, um, you know, the big deferred maintenance projects, uh, which also mitigates risk from the sense if, you know, there is an economic downturn and you have to hang on to this property longer than you anticipated. Um, the older properties, you only hang on so long before you get these big ticket deferred maintenance items. Um, right. You either have to recap or, you know, if you're lucky, maybe you can refinance um, and get that capitalized via debt, but there's going to have to be a capital infusion where with these, you know, lighter value add projects, you can ride it out a lot longer without having to recap the project. Um, and the other advantage is just uh, demographics. The newer properties are located in better areas. Um, you're going to have a better tenant profile. You're not going to fight collections. Uh, you're not going to struggle on income verification. So we really try to mitigate the headaches with our selection of property. Um, but not to say that it doesn't have to be, you know, 60, 70 built to have value add. What a lot of people don't realize is some of these newer developments, like our, our first acquisition, that 2017 property, um, you know, we're renovating all the unit interiors there. Um, and that's just a byproduct of developers typically have to cut costs somewhere. And a very easy place to do that is in the interior finishes. Mm -hmm. um, and this one happened to have, you know, some very ugly kitchens that they bought, Cabinets in bulk off the back of a truck, um, you know, the very dated color scheme. Um, they're just, for being a 2017 product, the interiors were just ugly. Right. Well, that's some really low hanging fruit, right? When you just yep. have a purely cosmetic um, upside opportunity on a basically brand new asset for all intents and purposes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's really nice. Um, well, let's talk about the equity side. Um, how did you guys start sourcing your equity um, to, to start out? And what does that look like today? How are you approaching that? Um, you know, it's on a deal by deal basis. Um, you know, each uh, project will get capitalized slightly different based on the needs of that project. But we mm -hmm. have a, kind of a, a mix of we'll raise all of the, the common equity in-house, you know, friends and family, uh, you know, via Reg D, you know, $50,000, $100,000 at a time. Sure. Um, some of them, we have relationships with institutional equity, uh, where we'll have a preferred equity piece or a JV equity piece um, and kind of get a little lower cost of capital, um, help returns for our common equity investors. Sure. Yeah, I like it. Um, you know, you mentioned getting out of the construction business, getting the multifamily business. How, how has that impacted your lifestyle what you're doing today versus, you know, running the, running the company before you got into the multifamily business. What does that look like now? Um, yeah, it's just a little, little different. Um, you know, I have a little more time, which was the ultimate uh, goal there. Mm -hmm. uh, again, we don't have so many uh, employees to manage in-house. Uh, we work with a great third-party management firm um, you know, that really allows us to delegate a lot of the daily tasks uh, sure. to them. And we can stick to what we're good at, which is, you know, problem solving and, and asset managing um, and, you know, really sourcing quality projects for our investors. Yeah. Yep. Um, if somebody is, let's say you, a number of years ago, they're running a company or they've had some success corporate world or whatever, but they want to get over towards the ownership side, um, get on the GP run deals. What do you, what do you say to that person? Um, you know, it's like anything else. You, you, you can do about anything with, with enough 
effort and time. Um, but at the end of the day, it is a startup and they are very time intensive in the beginning. Right. Um, but yeah, if it's an industry you want to want to get into, I'd say go for it. Yeah. How about for the investor that is, you know, look, you guys have multiple investors in your projects, friends and family, things like that. Somebody that's got, it seems like people kind of inherently know they, they need to be in real estate. They just don't know how to, how to go about it. Yeah. Um, and for as much as we, you and I are in this business and we live and breathe it, there's still this just giant contingent of people that have investable capital that don't even know syndications exist, which is part of the, you know, mandate of this podcast is to kind of spread the the gospel here. Um, what do you say to that person that wants to participate in multifamily, but they've never done it? They don't, they don't know where to start. You probably have those conversations on a regular basis. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, obviously a, a bit biased, but you know, I think multifamily is, you know, one of the better investments out there. It's one of the few things you can invest in that, uh, you know, is going to generate regular cash flow, um, you know, and is going to really has the opportunity to not only preserve capital, but to, you know, have chance for great appreciation over the long term. Um, and then there are the, the tax benefits and, you know, offsetting passive gains, which uh, there's very other limited assets that will allow you to do that. So there's, there's huge advantages in, in being passively invested in real estate. Um, and the other part of that is being passively invested in real estate. The active side, especially for anybody who's done duplexes, single family, um, you know, fix and flips, it's a lot of work being a real yes. estate investor on the active side. Yeah, There's a lot of great benefits to it, but a lot of work. So having the opportunity to invest in, you know, a large multifamily project allows you to have all those benefits passively. Um, but yeah, it, it comes down to there is, you know, a lot of information out there if you hunt forward around syndications and, you know, how to get into investing in syndications. Um, but I think it comes down to knowing what, what are your investment goals first? What's your, your time horizon? What is your return profile? Uh, what are you looking to get out of it? And, you know, then kind of looking for syndicators or sponsorship teams that, uh, you know, represent what you're looking for um, and are going to deliver the results. And, you know, one of the big things for us, uh, my partner, and I, because we've invested passively before, is uh, communication. So we send out investor communications on the 15th of every month. Um, right. You know, we've invested passively in deals where we've had limited communication. We've had no communication. It's extremely right. frustrating. And we it's said, frustrating. You know, we're not going to be those guys. If we're going right. to take people's money and invest it alongside ours and these projects and manage these projects, uh, we're going to communicate with our investors, you know like clockwork. Um, so we send out kind of a asset snapshot and summary of the key performance metrics we're tracking along with, you know, photos of renovating and then the full financial reporting package every month on the 15th. We're always available to take uh, investor phone calls or emails if they have any questions. Um, and that's just kind of one of the things that, uh, you know, comes with having integrity. Uh, if you're going to be an investment company and then take people's money, you, you got to be in communication with those people. Absolutely. What do you guys do for distributions? It's a quarterly model, monthly? Yep. So we do quarterly um, right now. We've had conversations about uh, possibly doing monthly and how uh, we can kind of solve the administrative burden that, that comes with that. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, it's the same amount of money in a year. Yep. We, uh, we transitioned to a monthly model a couple of years back. We also do the 15th and it's kind of nice. We've got a, a bunch of different projects, but we can all consolidate around the 15th is just a big you know, a, a big 
day every month at the office for everybody to kind of get all the reporting and distributions out. Uh, people seem to like it. You know, it's just, it's almost a, just a psychological thing. Again, it's the same amount of money, but you're, it's a little dopamine hit. <laughs> I'm a passive investor too. And, you know, if you can get that dopamine hit 12 times a year instead of four, it's people, people seem to like it. And no, certainly no one's complained about it, but yeah, there's a little, a little more administrative uh, setup on the front end that goes into that. Um, in, in your multifamily business, uh, it is a startup, takes a lot of, a lot of energy to get things up and running and get the flywheel moving. What, what would you say is one of the biggest challenges that you guys have, have faced and overcome, I think for the benefit of maybe somebody looking to get into this industry? Um, you know, again, we, we really stick to our guns, our investment thesis and our criteria. Um, sure. and because of that, the biggest challenge is, you know, winning deals that, uh, you know, make good investments. Um, you know, there, there's a number of good deals out there, but because of the profile that we're chasing, a lot of our competition is from institutional investors and large sure. investment funds. Um, and, you know, we uh, get our teeth kicked in by those guys. Um, we're professionals at, at coming in second place. <laughs> That's the game, right? I mean, yeah. somebody goes a, a million hard day one and you go, well, I'm out. Okay, have fun. Well, that's the thing. I mean, most of our offers, the million hard day one is kind of our starting point and, and we're still losing. Right. Right. But. Yeah. That's, that's it. it that, I love that it, because that's so true on the acquisition side. Acquisitions can be heartbreaking and um, you just see, you know, deals coming in, getting beat out by millions and millions of dollars at the very top of your underwriting and you go, yeah. Oh. Okay. So it's mostly losing. And I think, um, you know, for the passive investors listening, you know, if you've developed a relationship with a sponsor and they actually send out a deal that they're raising capital on, there's a whole bunch more work yeah. and uh, probably heartache and losses that, uh, that happened before you actually saw a deal put out. Right? Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a lot of work that, that goes into the, the losing part of it. But again, with that, um, you know, we know we're, we're buying quality assets um, if, if we're losing to these institutions. And, you know, the, the handful of ones that we do win, um, you know, have performed well and we'll have the opportunity to, to sell back to these institutions. Sure. Sure. Yeah, that's right. I love it. Yeah. You got to have criteria and you got to stick to your guns on that and just work the, work the system. So what do you guys see ahead for 2022? What's, what's, um, you know, if, if you were to look back on this year and call it a win, what does that look like for you guys? Yeah, so we're uh, hoping to continue the momentum on the, the acquisitions front. Uh, you know, we'd like to acquire uh, hopefully three to five more assets. Um, we're getting ready. Um, you know, by the end of the next month, we're going to launch a, a GP fund to allow, you know, investors an opportunity to invest and then uh, diversify their investment across a portfolio of assets instead of, you know, one asset at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. That's excellent. Um, well, Ryan, thank you for for sharing your story and kind of peeling back some of the layers on your business. I wish you guys continued success. If somebody listening wants to connect with you, how can they? Uh, how can we hand that off? Yeah, absolutely. Um, best way to get in touch with us is through our website at uh, equityyieldgroup.com. Um, there's some information about kind of what we're doing and um, you know current progress with uh, projects on that we're working on through the company. I can also schedule a call with myself or one of our other managing partners. Um, and it, even if you just have questions about how, you know, investing in syndication works, or if you're uh, considering investing in, you know, different syndication and, and want an objective opinion, um, you know, we're here as a resource. 
Excellent. Excellent. Well, well, we will link to that in the show notes. And if you're listening, you can just uh, go right there and to the URL and, and click on through. But uh, Ryan, thank you very much for, for joining today. I, I enjoyed getting to, to meet you and learn a little bit about your business. And again, I wish you guys uh, continued success in the year ahead. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.